C.S. Joseph Podcast. I'm your host, C.S. Joseph, and uh, doing the uh, multi-host thing. And thank you for joining me as I am obviously preparing to rob a bank uh, this afternoon while wearing a suit and tie. I, I don't even know why. I just, you know, kind of like uh, got into the mood, apparently. So, um, uh, but yeah, uh, anyway, uh, no, it's just really effing cold, actually. It's really cold, and uh cold in the studio today and uh, I don't have time to wait for the heat uh, to be higher by any stretch of the imagination. I would just rather uh, film and uh, record and get things done. So, I mean, hey, bring on the fingerless gloves and the beanie while wearing a suit and tie, although my jacket is over there and it probably would have made a lot more sense to actually wear the jacket. Who knows? Uh, that being said, uh, today's question, a very fascinating question, a question that I've been looking forward to answering uh, for a while, which is how do golden pair relationships work? Yes, a very complicated and yet fascinating question. For those of you uh, that are not aware, the golden pair is the absolute highest compatibility in terms of judgment, hashtag uh, emotional uh, compatibility, as well as perception, aka sexual compatibility, among all of the types on paper, technically on paper. Uh, the only other type relationship that probably gets close uh, to what the golden pair does uh, for people is the natural pair. The golden pair, also known as the affection relationship, is definitely the relationship that solves the problem of a lack of joy in someone's life, whereas the natural pair, for example, uh, solves the problem uh, based on a lack of acceptance in their life. That's what the, uh, the natural pair does. But the uh, golden pair is definitely a lack of joy, and that's ultimately the purpose between uh, that relationship compared to the natural pair. And I'm using the natural pair as a form of contrast because guess what, folks? We are now discussing season 14, part three, right now in our premium lectures at csjoseph.life forward slash members for the journeyman members. Uh, we also have season 14, part two. Season 14 basically is where we talk strictly about sexual relationships. And there are four parts to it. Uh, part four is actually slowly being released publicly, uh, like one episode a month uh, on the YouTube channel and on the podcast. Uh, season uh, 14, part one is available at csjoseph.life forward slash portal in the discover XYZ specific type uh, membership sections. And uh, season 14, part two, which is the pedagogue, also known as the companion relationship. And, uh, and then uh, part three is the natural pair, but part one is the golden pair, which is what we are discussing now. If you'd want to watch uh, the lecture uh, associated with your type, just go to csjoseph.life forward slash portal, find discover, and it could be like INTP or INFJ, whichever one is your type, and then just buy that one specific thing. It's like 37 bucks one time fee. And then you can watch the season 14 part one episode for your type and basically the golden pair relationship for your type. I highly recommend you get into these uh, because they definitely provide additional background and additional nuance uh, behind what it is I'm actually about to say here. However, I would like to add that what I am going to say in this particular episode right now is not something that is actually covered uh, in season 14 part one. So 
there's still value to actually watching and listening to this episode. So like pay attention because it's a really, really big deal. So uh, the golden pair, you know, I have traditionally called them the, the relationship of the highest highs and the lowest lows. Uh, it is ultimately a very turbulent relationship and uh, both types involved, while they have highest compatibility in terms of emotional compatibility and sexual compatibility on paper. And the reason why is something due, is something known, due to something known as cognitive synchronicity. Cognitive synchronicity, um, which is basically just a fancy way of saying compatibility. Ooh, you know, cognitive asynchronicity is a fancy way of saying camaraderie. Ooh, you know, so uh, based on all the ooh that is present, we can then therefore conclude that if you want to really understand the fundamentals of what the, how the golden pair works, you probably might want to watch seasons five uh, and seasons 12. And they're available here on the YouTube channel. Just go to uh, this channel, go to the playlist, look at season five, which is cognitive synchronicity, and season 12, which is social compatibility, just so that you can kind of understand some of the nuance and the concepts that are uh, actually, uh, you know, a precursor to this particular video, right? Uh, it might actually provide you with additional uh, knowledge than what you had previously, or at least enough understanding to really get everything that you can out of this particular episode. So highest highs and lowest lows. And one of the reasons for that is, uh, depending on what your octogram is, because octogram is not something that has been heavily discussed in season 14, but octogram is basically a person's neutral expression of their nature. You know, uh, you have your nature, but then life happens, and based on life, you end up having a certain cognitive development, which is basically where you have been within your mind, and then uh, cognitive focus, which is basically where you are taking your mind next, right? Uh, and those things together uh, bring about a yin and yang equilibrium that represents a person's octogram. And, a person, and as a result, there are four different total octograms per one of the 16 types. The reason why it's called the octogram, however, is because it's based on the eight temple wheels, uh, which we are discussing two temple wheels uh, per month right now within, Sia's, uh, within uh, season 18, which is also available at csjoseph.life forward slash members. Just become a journeyman member and you can access that at csjoseph.life forward slash portal to be able to handle that. So, so with all that being said, what makes this work is cognitive synchronicity. And, and cognitive synchronicity in like a nutshell is basically when, let's say I'm an extrovert intuition hero, so my golden pair would have to have an introvert intuition hero as well. Like I want to be wanted as much as that they actually want to want me basically. Or I have introverted thinking parent, which means they would have extroverted thinking parent. And I'm all about what I think, but they are also all about what I think. And then they have introverted feeling. They're all about how they feel. I have extroverted feeling, and I am all about how they feel, right? So I'm all about what I, what, what I think, and they're all about how they feel. And it's basically like this awesome trade-off, etc. And I'm aware of what uh, makes me comfortable. They're constantly seeking to make me comfortable. There is no issue, period, end of story. It's just awesome that way. And that's ultimately what my golden pair does for me, which is the INTJ archetype, right? But again, what people don't understand about golden pairs is that they are the highest highs and the lowest lows. And the reason for this is actually due to something known as cognitive origins. And again, cognitive origins is something that we're heavily going through uh, in the, uh, they're like our live lecture that we do once a month. It's for season 18, the cognitive mechanics uh, season. And right now we're actually discussing cognitive origins uh, at length, uh, as much as we have done so already in the Deadly Sin Living Virtue lecture series. 
which we had uh, eight of those uh, recently, which are also available in the premium uh, lectures area for the premium content. But uh, cognitive origin is probably the most important vector when it comes to understanding the type grid, as well as understanding the octagrid for octogram. You can basically see, like, you know how, you know, you can't really have algebra without a concept of zero, right? It is impossible to do any algebraic uh, uh, conclusion or logic thereof uh, or that form of mathematics uh, without having a concept of zero. But when it comes to Jungian analytical psychology, the concept of zero is really the cognitive origin, the cognitive origin itself. And the cognitive origin is basically that which an individual seeks the most for their entire life. So for me, it's satisfaction. For an INTJ, that'd be reverence, also known as deep respect. For an ESTP, IN, INFJ, that is connectedness and intimacy. For uh, an INFP and ESTJ, it's power and authority. For a ISTJ and uh, ENFP, it's justification or excuses uh, to be excused uh, from things. Uh, so they're looking for the most. And then obviously uh, discovery for the uh, ESFJ, also known as exploration, to be able to explore new things, explore life. That's ESFJ and um, INTP. Often, you know, I mean, think about it. Gene Roddenberry was a, uh, uh, an INTP. He cares about discovery and he wrote Star Trek, which is all about space exploration. Okay, obviously. It was like his dream that never was necessarily able to come true. I mean, and I guarantee you he very much wanted it to, et cetera. And then obviously you have uh, the ISTP and ENFJ uh, with what they are seeking out of life known as validation, right? So these are all the eight cognitive origins. And what's interesting about the golden pair when compared to the natural pair, for example, the natural pair actually manages cognitive origins very well. There, there isn't any competition for cognitive origins uh, within uh, the natural pair. And as, as byproducts of the natural pair providing uh, you know, their lover, uh, with their own origin, uh, like for example, like I'm my natural pair is an ISFP. An ISFP woman would share her sense of purpose with me, also her sense of um, discovery with me, and I would be sharing my sense of satisfaction as well as my sense of uh, reverence. And you know, uh, we I would help her gain satisfaction and reverence. She helps gain uh, g help me gain uh, purpose and discovery, etc. Which actually ends up by doing this. Uh, sharing or this exchange, it actually helps us uh, improve ourselves and we're able to reach those cognitive origins, not just for ourselves, but then give them to each other. And as byproducts of giving our own origins to the other person within the context of the relationship, they actually gain their own origins in the pot in the process uh, as a secondary energy exchange within the natural pair itself. It makes the natural pair truly unique and very special. Whereas the golden pair is actually pretty direct about it. Uh, there, is no, there is no dance, there's nothing informative about it. It's actually super direct. And you know, like if I'm with an INTJ woman, for example, that INTJ is constantly you know, on paper, this is on paper, helping me reach, um, uh, reach a higher level of satisfaction as well as I'm helping her reach a higher level of reverence, right? At least that's how it's supposed to work on paper. But when it comes to highest, highest highs and lowest lows, that's not necessarily always the case. And the reason why is because of the octogram. The octogram is the reason why. Because the octogram, uh, when you actually look at it from a macro perspective, a very high level point of view from a neutral impact of one's nature, I'm an ENTP, she'd be an INTJ, and you're looking at 
our nature is being impacted by our octograms, basically. And then I have a cognitive development, I have a cognitive focus, she has a cognitive development, she has a cognitive focus. These things tend to actually further adjust how compatible we are within the relationship. And this can lead to something that's the highest highs and lowest lows. And there is a solution to this, and I'll probably, maybe, just depends if I'm on the mood. I might talk about this at the end of the episode. We'll see. We'll see how where I'm at with it. But uh, the point is, is that like, Certain octograms are more compatible with others. Now, I remember saying a long time ago, and this is me issuing a retraction right here. This will be the seventh or eighth retraction I've ever done. Uh, but basically, I said that UDUF octogram types should be with SDSF octogram types. And that's not actually accurate anymore. If you're an atypical octogram versus a typical octogram, the compatibility actually changes depending on which of the eight sexual compatible relationships you're actually in because each individual relationship actually has its own octogram uh, parameters in terms of compatible octogram and compatible nurtures, right? So that was way too high level of me to say, or like just to say like in general that UDUF types should be with SDSF types and then also the opposites for the typical octograms. We found out that that's not actually accurate at all. It's not. Uh, so don't believe me if you hear me saying that in previous episodes, the reality of the situation is, is that has changed. By the way, if you would like to learn more about Octogram, obviously you can become a member and uh, we're gonna have Octogram specific uh, content coming out. We do have one Octogram specific episode in Cutting Edge and there's some sprinkles of it here and there, especially in season 18 right now. But uh, more Octogram content is coming. However, if you wanna get involved with the Octogram discussion, it is available at discord.gg forward slash egohackers. Go to that link and then you can get on our Discord server and then get into the Discuss Octogram channel. Go to the pinned messages so you can learn the basics of what Octogram is and then participate in the discussion there, which is basically going every day because it's one of the most active channels on the server where people are discussing Octogram and human nurture. I highly, highly, highly recommend that you, uh, that you folks uh, consider participating in the community. We're about to break 1,200 members, active members, like they're super active, 24-7, well-moderated server. Check it out. So uh, anyway, um, so the octogram ends up having some changes. And the reason why is like, for example, I am an unconscious developed, unconscious focused type. So while my ego being an ENTP, it seeks satisfaction, my subconscious is actually very, very underdeveloped because I am an unconscious developed, unconscious focused ENTP. My underdeveloped subconscious means I don't crave satisfaction as much because my shadow, which is, or also known as my unconscious, which is my INTJ side, and my superego, which is my ESFP side, those sides of my mind are actually far more developed than my ISFJ. And you could say that my INTJ side is developed, which is the UD aspect. And then the UF piece is where I am developing my superego, which honestly in the long run, this is not gonna be sustainable because obviously my mind has not developed my ISFJ side very much. And this could actually be the source of my midlife crisis. I know that I outlined in season 19 uh, the different uh, life crises in terms of quarter life crisis, midlife crisis, final life crisis. And I gave a typical expression of what those life crises do. But after understanding how the octogram works, while the roadmap that I laid in season 19 is the basic uh, roadmap in terms of what to expect in a midlife crisis versus a quarter life crisis, uh, it's actually really octogram dependent because from an octogram point of view, uh, those life crises could actually switch. You still have to go through each of the crises. It's just which crises are you facing when 
that's what really changes depending on what your octogram is. And, and more on that later. We'll, we'll be discussing that at length much later. But at the end of the day, um, because I because my subconscious is underdeveloped, I don't crave the cognitive origin of satisfaction as much as I actually crave the cognitive origin of reverence, right? And this is something like uh, my mother has pointed out to me uh, typically. One of the things that she does not like about me is, and she has told me multiple times throughout my life, is that uh, she does not like how I handle disrespect well and how like at any perceived disrespectful slight towards me, I lash out, uh, even to the point of violence. Um, and uh, yeah, that's pretty accurate because my INTJ side is so developed and my ESFP side is developing and both of them are looking for reverence, the cognitive origin of reverence, the cognitive origin of deep respect that I have to have that. Now, here's the thing. If I'm with an INTJ woman, for example, who is subconscious developed, subconscious focused, that would like literally blow up in my face. Why? Because her ego and her subconscious are both looking for reverence and her shadow, uh, which is, which is, you know, it's there, uh, it's looking for satisfaction and the superego is like, yeah, WTF mate, you know, I'm here down under and nothing really is happening to me, whatever. I mean, other than stringent, you know, COVID laws uh, or rules, if they are laws, I don't know. Uh, but, you know, they much, there is not much going on down under, you know, and so based on that, um, you know, with her superego, she's also looking for two helpings of reference. Now, in my previous model where I stated that UDUF types should be with SDSF types, that's not necessarily true. And in fact, it is not true in the context of the golden pair. It is true, however, in the context of a natural pair, but it is not, uh, it is not true in the context of a golden pair. It just is not. Uh, so this ends up causing a lot of problems um, because basically my soul or my persona is looking for two helpings of reverence and one helping of satisfaction. However, this SDSF uh, golden pair woman that I'm with is looking for two helpings of reverence and one helping of satisfaction. So basically both of us, our minds are looking for two helpings of reverence. This creates an insane amount of conflict because we're literally competing for the same cognitive origin. And while, and this is why oftentimes you see a lot of golden pair people get it together. You know they belong together because it's just, it is the golden pair from a nature perspective, but their nurture is competing for the same cognitive origins within the context of the relationship because you always have to be uh, aware of what their, their top sides of their mind are doing, which is the ego and subconscious compared to the bottom sides of their mind, which is their shadow versus their super ego. And how each of these different, like, you know, the, the, the northern hemisphere of their mind versus the southern hemisphere of their mind, and which one, which hemisphere is more active than the other. Uh, and, that, and that basically determines what they're seeking out of life. And if I'm going on my way to seek a high amount of reverence, that would mean I would have to be with a modest uh, INTJ woman, basically. Because if I was with a vainglorious INTJ woman, which is uh, you know subconscious focused, she's looking for a lot of reverence. Her ego is already looking for a lot of reverence. That is, and her being you know subconscious developed on top of that, which means she'd be an egotistical INTJ. Um, which, like you know, from an octogram perspective, that is my ex Andy's octogram. She was SDSF, very subconscious developed because she's very, she's an egotist. And I don't mean this to be offensive to her at all. It's just, this is just reality. This is just how her nurture works, right? And then, um, 
and then also from a uh, and then she's subconscious focused because she's very vainglorious, a very vain uh, person, which is not necessarily a bad thing either, right? I'm not I'm not like some people. There's negative and positive connotations. Like living virtues can be a bad thing, right? As much as uh, shadow poles can be a bad thing, right? Or as much as a deadly sins can actually be a good thing, and I've explained that heavily on this channel, right? And these things help you interpret how the octogram works according to the octagrid, which we have yet to release, but it is coming. Um, so be on the lookout for that. We're going to be adding, adding the octagrid to Ucha, and I believe it will be a paid feature uh, when it is out to help people understand their nurtures. Uh, but yeah, like, but the point is, is that she is looking for two helpings of reverence, even though I'm looking for two helping of reverence. So it's, it, it makes a lot of sense that we actually just couldn't be together because we were looking for the very same thing and competing for the very same thing out of life. And the thing is, is that when you're looking at octogram, like you're only going to have one out of four octograms that are actually going to be compatible with each other. So even if you do get into a golden pair, you only have a one in four chance. Uh, like, and, and getting a golden pair is extremely difficult for intuitives to do, but it's very easy for sensors to do. Uh, and then, but you still have to deal with the fact whether or not you're a sensor or an intuitive with your golden pair, right? This is why intuitives often end up with their natural pair more uh, than, than golden pairs. And golden pairs is more common amongst uh, concrete types or sensors. Intuitives usually end up in naturals and uh, concrete types usually end up in golden pairs. Uh, but even if you do end up in your golden pair, you really only have a one out of four chance of having a compatible octogram. And even then, that's not entirely accurate because I'm sure there are some octograms more common than others. For example, you have atypicals, which are not as common, and then you have typicals that are really common in terms of octogram expressions of nurture versus nature within the human mind. So as a result of that, it really, really skews the numbers. And I think that, you know, so at best, at best, it's 25%. Uh, but I think it's probably way, way lower than 25% that you're going to find a compatible octogram, especially if you're an atypical uh, type like myself. I'm UDUF, so that is atypical. Uh, and he's SDSF, so that is atypical. So based on these two atypical octogram perspectives, um, because you know we're, we're atypical in that way, uh, in order for us to have even had a good relationship, I would have had to have been SDSF at the same time or she would have had to have been UDUF at the same time in order to reduce the turbulence of the relationship. The problem is, though, is that, again, the chances of us having the most compatible octogram was extremely low. It is extremely low, especially given that we're both intuitives, and that's like a context of a golden pair, okay? Like, we're intuitives, and it's really hard for intuitives to get into golden pair because intuitives are so rare. This is why intuitives end up in natural pairs the most. And they're actually most suited for natural pairs, in my opinion, over concrete types because natural pairs solve the problem of a lack of acceptance, whereas the golden pair solves the problem of a lack of joy. The thing is, is that sensors are accepted by society, whereas intuitives are not accepted by society, typically. So intuitives have to deal with a lot less self-acceptance. So therefore, intuitives are technically way more attractive than natural pairs and golden pairs to begin with, which is also a very fascinating concept if you think about it. So as a result, um, you know, moving, moving, moving right along here, because of this uh, octogram-related turbulence within the context of a relationship, breakups are inevitable. This is, this is why it is the highest highs and the lowest lows when it comes to golden pairs is because of the octogram problem because of the lack of neutral compatibility, basically, and the lack of availability within neutral compatibility, especially if you're an intuitive type, you have it even worse than the sensors. So um, 
anyway, it's uh, it's a it's it's a serious it's a serious issue. Um, so so based on that, breakups end up becoming very commonplace. The golden pair. So while it's easy to get into a golden pair, it's actually extremely difficult to maintain one. And we've been talking about the opposite concept within season 14, part three, relating to the natural pair episodes that we're doing in the members area right now. But this is something like you could see this episode is like a supplement to season 14, part one, talking about golden pairs, because this is not discussed within the context of golden pairs. This is before we had the octogram, uh, you know, that was shot and filmed years ago, like before the octogram, uh, you know, came came about to help explain why it was the highest highs and the lowest lows. And this is the best explanation we have, hence why I'm doing this video as, as an answer to an Acolyte member, but also as, uh, you know, to give you folks an opportunity to actually understand why this is happening. So almost every golden pair, like with the exception of maybe like, maybe the 1% out there or the 5%, it's extremely low percentage where they actually do have a compatible octogram, they'll be fine, right? But for everyone else, and a minimum of three out of four golden pairs out there, a minimum of that, and I believe it's more than that, but let's just, for the sake of brevity, assume at a minimum 75%, but it's probably closer to 87% or 93%, like it's up there. Um, breakups are inevitable for the golden pair. The golden pair is all about breakups. But here's the thing, here's the thing, like, because the, the way the breakups work, if a golden pair is actually able to get get back together after a breakup and you know most most people out there especially in the red pill community would tell you to never get back with somebody you know after breaking them up breaking up with them in fact most people would say that it's generally wise to never get back with somebody after you've broken up with them but i maintain that the golden pair is the exception to that rule it is the only relationship that i think that is okay with maybe the natural pair as an option in terms of a post-breakup situation but with a golden pair guaranteed uh, the reason why is because the golden pair, um, while it is the affection relationship, is the relationship that solves the lack of joy problem in one's life, it is also known as the relationship of reconciliation. The golden pair is all about reconciliation. And if a couple can reconcile, that couple would be together forever, basically. So really, the trial of the golden pair, the test of the golden pair ends up becoming like, hey, you know, uh, it's like the test of the demon almost. Uh, the demon functions end up testing each other, and if uh, and that often becomes a turbulent battleground of the titans, uh, a battleground of the titans, and then after the battleground of titans from a cognitive reflection uh, perspective, the relationship breaks apart. However, they just have that undeniable uh, magnetism to the point where both types, even the SE user, actually, especially the extroverted sensor, really either ends up becoming nostalgic through their lower SI or they end up becoming very uh, needy from their introverted intuition perspective and being unable to let go of the other person. It usually starts in the extroverted sense where this happens. And then that NE user of the relationship is able to maintain that magnetism. They almost always have an opportunity to reconcile, not necessarily to say that they will reconcile, but they always have the opportunity to reconcile. And when they do reconcile, that relationship is basically solid and they'll never break up again. And that basically is the story arc of the relationship of the golden pair. It is the relationship of reconciliation. If you get in a golden pair, ah, at least eight or nine out of 10 times, you will have a breakup due to incompatible octogram, but then you'll reconcile and then you're together and then you'll never break up again, basically. That's, that's basically how the golden pair works. That is, that is how it works, right? So one of the reasons why this happens is because like regardless of your octogram, the golden pair is actually very sensitive to 
the inferior function's aspiration. While the natural pair requires the inferior function to be aspiring ahead of time before the relationship is there, the golden pair can get with somebody whose inferior function is underdeveloped and actually help that person develop and actually start developing their inferior function within the context of the relationship. However, eventually the golden pair will have a natural covert contract within it to have an expectation of the other person taking the lead within their own aspiration. And if that doesn't happen, that's also what can lead to a breakup. Why? Well, it's because when you notice that happening in your golden pair partner, what you end up doing subconsciously or even unconsciously to a point, you start introducing insecurity to see if they can handle it. You start introducing insecurity within the context of the relationship to see if their inferior function can aspire. So this is like the test of the inferior. I know within the natural pair, we've been talking about the test of the critic and the test of the inferior, or a test of the parent, but this is ultimately the test of the inferior where you are actually using your inferior function to test the other person's inferior function by introducing insecurity to it to see if they can handle it. And if they can, great. And that's ultimately what leads to the reconciliation within the relationship to keep it together. If they can't, that is basically a signal as to what led to the breakup in the first place. You see what I'm saying, folks? Like, So in, in general, this is how the golden pair mechanically works uh, from a neutral perspective when you consider the octogram and how the octogram actually impacts uh, the golden pair relationship to begin with. So. Anyway, folks, thanks for watching and listening to this particular episode. I'll see you guys in the next one.